Hey everyone, and welcome to the first in the series of A Day in the Life Cybersecurity. Uh, an absolute pleasure to welcome our first guest this week. I'm not going to tell you who he is, I'm going to let him introduce himself to you because this guy is an absolute legend. Dennis, welcome, and please tell our guests a little bit about yourself. Well, good, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Dennis Rucker Hunter. Um, I, as I was sharing with our host, I've been in cybersecurity since the 1970s. Uh, my first introduction to computers was on board uh, the USS uh, Kitty Hawk. And it was a, a weapon systems called VAST, which was a 22 foot long, seven foot tall computer system. You could literally sleep inside of it. It was a room full of computers. Uh, this was in the 1970s. I was in the United States Navy and if you've ever heard of Top Gun, I was in the squadron that Top Gun flew against, professional adversaries for the West Coast. Wow. I then was lucky enough to get recruited out of the Navy by the company that sold the F-14s to the Navy. And I became the tech rep to the United States Navy for the F-14 aircraft for the vast weapon system. Wow. You were about to say something? No, I'm just sitting here with my mouth open in wonder. Um... <laughs> It's just difficult because I can't see you on the other end of the call. So you'll have to excuse my gobsmacked expression. But you've just mentioned two of the most exciting things from my childhood, one of them being Top Gun. So I'm just sitting here enjoying the story, Dennis. Yeah, well, well it's so funny because we we remember how proud we were when they uh, when they um, mentioned us. Because at that time, the F-14 was relatively new to my squadron. And uh, we were we were flying well. We were flying the F-14s, and uh, prior to that, I was flying the A-4s. And the A-4s we used to go up against Top Gun. Uh, they were in the squadron right next door to us. But to get on the cybersecurity and the, into the IT business, I was recruited out of the United States Navy by Grumman Aerospace. I worked for them on board naval vessels for several years and uh, became a GS-11 sailing with the Navy all around the world. And this is how I got in, uh, interested in computers because the system I worked on was a, a computer system that troubleshot the electronics in the F-14. So our daily day at that time, and I understand the show is about what our day was like. Um, if I could encourage anyone to spend some time in their military uh, give them two years and they'll give you life. I'm in my upper 60s now, and uh, I am still being looked after by the United States government and the uh, VA for things that I did when I was 19. So it, it turned out real good. Yeah, it, it was, um, it, it's the best investment because it turned my life around. I was born in Harlem, which I was born in the bad Harlem. And, uh, you know, life didn't look very good for me back then. Joining the Navy changed the whole trajectory of my life. They gave me an education. They taught me electronics and they made me a man. I think so Dennis, I it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing point because I look back to my childhood and we're not here to talk about me today. But when I was a teenager, I suppose I, I could have been called. You always say, don't you don't hang around with the wrong crowd. And. My mum would have said I was hanging around with the wrong crowd, but I probably was the wrong crowd at that point. And a few of us 
kind of straightened themselves out. Two of my friends in particular joined the Marines. And mm. out of all, all of my friendship group, I've kind of scraped my way um, back to normality at 47. But a lot of my friends from my teenage years who didn't join the military or didn't find any focus either aren't around or they're in jail. And yeah. I think having that focus and learning the discipline, um, the critical thinking skills you learn in there as well. All I hear at the moment is there's a lack of critical thinking in cybersecurity. And then on the other hand, you've got masses of veterans who are looking for work. So. And that's one of the things. So later on in my career, I went through, um, oh Lord, I went from EG&G and EG&G, we worked for, a uh, our name was EG&G Washington Analytical Services. And with a name like Washington <laughs> Analytical Services, we did a lot of work for the three-letter agencies. Yeah. And uh, a, a, lot, a lot of things we can't, well, I don't think we can still talk about some of them. Pro probably best. We, we did. Yeah, we did, we did a lot of things. It was very, very interesting. And working with Navy and working with Brumman got me introduced to those kind of people. And it was good. Uh, we, 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 you know, went around the world and did all kinds of interesting things. Uh, this is back when the uh, our former adversaries in the former Soviet Union used to be around. And we chased them, they chased us, and it was an interesting life. But moving on to I IT, you know, all of this, believe it or not, was IT because we did ECM and counter ECM back in those days. So moving forward uh, to the current time, I, I went to work for IBM and I wrote a book on Linux for IBM, Linux and Linux clusters. Wow. Uh, when you're with IBM, one of the great things they do is they have this thing called Red Books. And what is that? And uh, the Red Book, say again? Sorry, what is what are Red Books? Okay, so Red Books, IBM seeks to uh, introduce its customers to their technology. And one of the ways they do that is they let the people at the SMEs in IBM write books about the technology to introduce their customers to the technology. So at that time, Linux was relatively new and Linux clusters were relatively new. And unfortunately, I knew the word Linux and I knew the word cluster. <laughs> and that and that stood you head and shoulders above everyone else. I suppose. That, that 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 put me at the head of the group. And you know, this is if I can give anyone uh, any kind of insight on their career. Uh, the thing that I looked for, my grand, my great grandfather was born in Kingston, Jamaica. And by the way, it's great to be speaking to someone in the mother country. Because him being from Kingston and us being of Jamaican descent, he, his allegiance always was to the crown. So uh, I, I grew up you know, knowing a lot about uh, uh, Great Britain. And um, he had a... a, a it's not, it's a, not a so great anymore, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're well, we're call not, we're call not it good Britain. Then. <laughs> right, right. We're, we're call it, we'll call it good Britain. Then. Let's call <laughs> it Britain. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Those guys over there whose language we still speak. Okay. <laughs> but but um he he always told me that if you want a job and you want a career, do the thing that the other people don't want to do. And um 
back then Linux was relatively new because everyone else uh, was doing Windows. And I looked around that we were doing uh, server support. And I looked around and everyone was doing um, Windows. And I said, well, you know, we run several different architectures. I'm going to learn this, the architecture no one else wants to do. And at that time, it was Unix and Linux. And so I got into Linux, and Linux took me a far way. Um, so we got into Linux clusters, and they had uh, different types of clusters back then. So we had shared um, storage clusters and high availability clusters. And uh, this, the knowledge of the two different kind of clusters led me to write a book for IBM, which the difference in life between having written a book, how they treated me before I wrote a book, and how they treated me after I wrote a book was day and night. If I give you any kind of career advice, do the thing that the other people don't want to do. Become expert at that and you'll always have a job. Yeah, do you know, Dennis, such true words. Um, ed educating other people is is massively important to any kind of success, I think. And whether that's the feeling of success, because helping other people does genuinely make you feel really good. But equally from that, as you rightly said, that subject matter expert point of view, that's who you become. And you see the people on LinkedIn are trying to break into the cybersecurity industry. And it isn't the ones who nail the exams the quickest or the ones who are the highest on hack the box or try hack me. It's the ones who are demonstrating what they've learned from those different courses and pathways that they've been on and how they can actually apply that to the jobs. And they then share that with their peers and those who are maybe only six months or nine months behind them in the journeys into cybersecurity. And it makes a massive difference, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to share something with you that I usually just share with my students. I'm also, by the way, an instructor for a CompTIA. So if you take oh, wow. one of the uh, CompTIA exams, you're probably going to be one of my students. So when you go and sign up at CompTIA and you take a, 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 a instructor-led exam or instructor-led course, if you're doing the cybersecurity, if you're doing the CYSA, Security Plus, Network Plus, A Plus, um, you're probably going to be one of my students. So do you do you do that directly for CompTIA then, Dennis, or do you do that for other companies yes. as well? No, I, I, I contracted from CompTIA. And uh, they reach out to me when um, when when they ha have the full classes, and uh, I've gotten a decent reputation with a lot of their students. So the students that have taken my first class will ask specifically for me, which makes my next class. It's nothing. It's nothing to do with your teaching. It's these stories, Dennis. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> well, every, every everyone loves the story, and you know we we've got to spin it back a little bit because I'm conscious of your time and my time today. I know how busy you are. Um, you you yeah. broke into the cybersecurity industry before it was even an industry. I mean, the cybersecurity word is one that I've only been aware of for a few years. It's it's always been information security for me, and mm -hmm. different people have different views on it. Um, what, what's your view on the terminology of it before we talk about the day in the life of you at the moment? Well, as you said, you know, we've been doing, coming from a background of being in the military and working for, uh, tangentially for the three-letter agency, working with them, um, we were always security conscious. 
cybersecurity is just the data extension of what we have been doing on the ground forever. When I spoke about ECM and counter ECM, yeah. you know, we've been doing this to each other forever. If you think about it, George Washington had spies. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I read a book about that recently. Right, so we've been doing this to each other forever, and um, it's nothing new. You know, we, we never disliked uh, our adversaries on the other side. They were doing their job and we were doing ours. Yeah. And this is just, you know, what we're doing now in cybersecurity is just the same battle, just in a different sphere. Do you see, um, I mean, I think we all know it's becoming more and more prevalent and more of a concern. I mean, the whole, funnily enough, I'm reading a book at the moment for the for the fifth time. Well, it's a rewrite of the original fifth before before christ book the art of war by sun Tzu. oh yes it's it bears so much relevance today doesn't it even though it's written all those centuries ago and the cyber warfare thing terrifies me and it's one of the reasons that drove me to get into the industry a couple of years ago because you see what happens in our countries at the moment and i'm, I'm not talking cyber here i'm talking about um divisiveness mm. around the world and I'm 47 and I've never known the world to be more divided than it is now. And I think a lot of that is down to manipulation, um, whether you're talking about the media, social media, um, whoever is doing that, I'm certainly not going to start pointing fingers on this recording today. But that is the big issue for me. And it's the kind of cyber war people are expecting. I don't think we will see. I think it would be a massive misinformation campaign to start with before the infrastructure hit. And I've, I've just got all these horror stories with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, all these nightmares I keep envisioning. And the art of war is the same, but the tools have changed, haven't they, Dennis? Yeah, well, the, the beautiful thing is that nothing that we're facing is new. Uh, we've faced these challenges before and we've overcome them. And we're going to overcome this. You know, the thing that we have to invest in <coughs> is our people and our youth. Uh, we have to get our youth uh, aware of the fact, my grandfather used to say that just because you don't punch back doesn't mean you're not in a fight. Yeah. And we're in a battle. We have to understand that the other side uh, totally gets the fact that this is a battle. And they've trained their, their children. They uh, are into computers and they use their computer skills uh, with cybersecurity. We have to play catch up. Yeah. We've got to get our, our people trained. We've got to get them first aware and then trained. Now, with that said, let me drop two pieces of knowledge on you that's going to help you with moving forward in your cybersecurity career. The first thing is, let me give you a reason why you want to be in cybersecurity. My son, who's also on LinkedIn, uh, Starting from childhood, I've been uh, talking with him and he followed me into computers. So he now uh, sits at home making over six figures working from home. Uh, when he was young, I used to tell him that when you're grown, when you're a grown man, you'll buy my toys. <laughs> and he is. So a few years ago, when the uh, iPad was new, he, he, he brought me an iPad and in there was a check for a couple of grand. And on the check, it said, Dad, am I grown now? Oh, that's the sweetest story I've ever heard. I'm still, I've got six children, Dennis. 
my um my eldest is 22 and whilst he's a massive inspiration for me i'm yet to receive any kind of financial gift and if you're watching alfie it could be your time now son just to you know think of your dad for a present <laughs> so so the first thing is you know the, the the financial compensation in in it and in cybersecurity especially is just phenomenal uh the second thing is labs, labs, labs. So what I tell my students is that if you're going on an interview, and this, this is something I share with my CompTIA students, if you're going on an interview, uh, create a lab on your personal laptop. Use some kind of virtualization to create this lab. So whatever classes you're taking, of course, I would, uh, because I work for our triad, I would um, encourage you to look us up on the on the internet. Do you know what, Dennis? I think no matter what you hear all over social media and the internet about the debate versus experience versus exams versus certs, the one thing that I've found is very, very clear since I've been in the industry is that triad of qualifications from CompTIA is very important. And I don't think there's anything else in the industry that's one, as recognised, and two as relevant i mean i've been through CompTIA plus as a person who thought he was the expert in the office on computers and that absolutely opened my eyes to how little i knew so sorry i just wanted to get that no, across that, that, that's you know. good so the, the labs what i what i encourage my students to do is when you go and this is a little nugget of of knowledge when you go to take your first interview have built a lab on your own laptop using some kind of virtualization platform and and demonstrate that lab to the person that's interviewing you take command and control the interview and drive it towards the lab do a little bit of research before you go there and find out what kind of kind of things to do so let me give you a good for instance let's say you have a lab on adding users almost any entry help desk is going to ask you to add users yeah. So it's a different thing if you're showing up with a bunch of certs that say you have A plus and that you know computers. It's a wholly different thing if you show up with a lab on your laptop and you demonstrate for them adding users. You yeah. will stand out from all the other interviews they had that day. I think I think that's a really good point. It's about as we said earlier, showing that you can apply what you've learned into practical and relatable and situations that are going to either earn you money or provide value to an employer. It's it's a little bit like um, I worked for a pen testing firm when I first got into the industry and a lot of people learn some amazing skills on the gamified platforms. But what they don't then learn is how to do, say, a Windows workstation build review or a Windows Server build review. You know, they've learned all these skills, but exactly. as, as you will know, that the key to it is not just understanding, but the ability to write a report, basically, and convey what you've learned in a way that people will understand. And that in itself is, is a big skill, isn't it? Well, one of the biggest, because I was lucky enough in life, uh, I started off on IBM's uh, remote support, help desk, whatever you want to call it, and, and then IBM sent me around the world to, to open up and train other users in technical support and help desk. So uh, on there, um, we, we would take our students and we would uh, teach them all the skills. By the way, 
anyone, uh, if you learn nothing else during this talk, <coughs> I'm sorry, go to troubleshooters.com. And troubleshooters.com has this book called Troubleshooting Just the Facts. It's like a $9 book. I don't get anything from this. But uh, that book took me through my career at IBM because I was able to teach other people how to troubleshoot. But yeah, definitively going in, being able to demonstrate the skill, that's the name of the game. What they care about is, you know, I have a X number of machines to roll out. Do you know how to roll out machines using the Microsoft tools? And if you, can, if you can demonstrate that, that's a lot different than saying you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, I think there's a lot of people who are very good talking the talk, but not walking the walk as well. And it makes you wonder on the whole, I know we get some interviews have a practical part within them, but I think it's difficult sometimes to make that relevant perhaps for each job that you're going for. But we, we see a massive disparity at the moment between the roles that are being advertised and people's expectations. And whilst I think we can blame recruiters and some employers for giving some misinformation on those job roles, would you agree with me? Would, would you agree with me that perhaps people's expectations of passing a couple of exams and then walking into a $70,000 $70, a year job are a little unrealistic? Well, they oversell them. I used to work for a for-profit uh, education outfit, and um, I actually had to walk away from them because I, I, I got shamed from the difference between what they were telling the people they would get when they were finished <clears throat> and what was available for them actually as an output. From that, one of the things I learned is in my present business with our triad, what we do is we make a relationship uh, with our apprentices and we make a relationship with the recruiters. So yeah. our output is their input. And the recruiters reach out to me on a regular basis for our graduates because they know, okay, we, we got a solid stock graduates. We've done good work with them and they know we got quality people. And not only that, but we keep a relationship with our people over time so that we've not just graduated you, but you're kind of a member of our community. And that, that whole community thing is massively important, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, I would say that because I've, I've got a community that I founded six months ago, but it's, it's through founding that community, I've realized how important it is. And for someone who's spent his whole life running away from kind of the family situation and having a family support network and being a bit of a loner up until a few years ago. I, I suppose I've never really benefited from being part of a community, but I've really seen how that can help. And especially when you're learning areas that are very complex and sometimes it feels like the questions you've got to ask are stupid questions. So having a place where you can feel safe enough and comfortable enough to ask those what, what could be perceived as stupid questions is important too, isn't it? Well, you know, it's so funny you said that because I often try to remember, remind people when they talk about this rugged individualism that both John Wayne and Ronald Reagan were both actors. Yeah. So that persona that they gave off of rugged individualism was an act. <laughs> and that there, there, you know, there is no such thing as rugged individualism because you don't change your own diapers. No. You did not build the road you're driving on. You know, no, what makes us strong true. as human beings is community. That's what makes us different 
from almost everything else. Is no, that... you know, you're absolutely right. And it's the only reason we've succeeded with anything, isn't it? Because from, from when we were in caves or wherever we were, whether we were on this planet or another one, we won't get into conspiracy theories. But it was through joining together as social groups and forming those social groups that we then started to share skills and resources, isn't it? And it's no different now. But the problem with the lockdown, the pandemic, the whatever you want to call the situation we're in, and then the divisiveness on social media as well. It's driven people into, into isolation, hasn't it? Well, I wouldn't worry, as I was saying before, I'm a student somewhat of history, right? And I wouldn't worry about some of the problems that we see today because although they seem uh, immense to us, two things we have to remember. The first thing is the reason we see so much is because we know so much more. There were always very many problems on the planet Earth. We just didn't know about, we didn't have the media to keep us informed about what was going on. I suppose so, informed is one way of describing it. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so the divisiveness that happens between human beings is just part of the natural competition, competition for the limited resources that we see around us, which, you know, it's much better now because Although we feel things are bad, remember, I'm from a period of time when we had nuclear weapons pointed at each other, and there was a time in the 60s when we thought we were going to launch them. Yeah. You know, we, yes, it's terrible here in the United States that they have to have drills for kids worrying about an active shooter coming into the classroom. But I'm old enough to remember drills where we were getting under our tables getting ready for a nuclear war it's a little bit different isn't it uh, a, a little bit different so the you know threats and and think about it long before this people had to watch the coast of england for when the vikings were going to show up and raise your city and we've, ne carry we've, never, we've never really lived in a, a safer easier time have we i mean it's not the same for for everyone around the world in different countries i know that but in developed countries we've gone a bit soft <laughs> We haven't we i think we've forgotten how yeah, how we, easy we have got it and we in the united states are totally spoiled because unlike uh people in europe right our land has never had the footsteps of a foreign invading army so we have no concept of what that could be like where that's in the history of some people over there that have seen you know uh, other other armies come and march in so yeah we have things you know and i only say this to say it's relative you know yes there are concerns yes there is dangers but there's always been concerns there's always been dangers and we have always overcome them yeah adapt and overcome dennis it's one of the most important things i think i've ever learned in my life um i'm conscious we've gone off on a tangent because it's such an interesting topic but yes, i wonder just put it back for a second before we wrap up and we we mentioned earlier the importance of qualifications we, we also meant we haven't really talked about what it means to break into cybersecurity today and you were talking about your son and the motivation the financial motivation of joining the industry and the reason i mentioned that is because i'm misguidedly followed money i suppose for a lot of my life and thought that mm -hmm. the money, success of it and i had to have a spectacular crash to work out that it wasn't 
And mm -hmm. I see a lot of people trying to get into cybersecurity just because of the money. And I personally don't think it's a career you'll succeed in if it's just about the money, because the learning curve of IT in general, never mind the fact of moving up into the cybersecurity realm, is massively steep. And the word yes. passion is thrown around too loosely, I know. But I do believe unless you have got some driving passion or a real interest in it, it's very difficult to succeed. What do you think about that? Well, my my motivation, money, you know, and Lord knows I've had inordinate amounts of money. Um, money is a motivator only when you recognize that money is just a token to allow you to get the thing you feel you want. Yes. So money is just a tool. It's the thing that allows me to get the thing I want. Um, with enough uh, enough money, uh, they now, Red Hat, when they tried to recruit me back, I was the product manager at Red Hat for several years. And they tried to recruit me back and the amount of money was not important. What was important to me at that time was, I wanna work from home. Yeah. And I was willing, you know, I was willing to trade off certain things for the money. But the motivation in IT is IT, unlike a lot of other fields, gives you lots of options like working from home, like travel, like um, having all kinds of different computer systems. I'm sitting here now in the middle of about six computers. Uh, I have I had at one time so many computers at my home that when the police had flown over and they saw the signature from their house, they came to the door because they, they thought I was running a drug lab or something. Like, you got some kind of crypto farm in your basement. Right, right. No, no, no those are servers. Oh, brilliant. So, Dennis, before we wrap it up, one bit of advice. So, there's a massive focus on red team, um, whether rightly or wrongly, there, there is a big focus on it in the press and in the training in general. What would be your recommendation for the easiest way into cybersecurity? And I don't mean that as in what's the easy route without doing any work. I mean more, I'll tell you what I think. I think you are perhaps easier getting in looking at a compliance route or a blue team route more than you are the red team. And I'm saying that just because of the jobs I'm aware of in those different areas compared to the red team ones. I'd be interested to see what you think about that. I'm so glad you said that because I started off as a hacker. Uh, uh, this is back when we used to do the phone freaking, which yeah. shows you how old my hackers were. <laughs> I know what you mean, though. <laughs> But, and this is when we actually had pay phones and I used to, you know, I used to specialize when I was in Harlem. I used to specialize in making the phones kick money out. Uh, so, you know, alleged, allegedly, this is... Yeah, uh, allegedly. No, I don't know this for, for definite, but with the old coin-operated pay phones in the UK, you could wedge a matchstick in the tray. And the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure someone told me that story once. <laughs> there you go. But, but with that said, right, um, when I got to work at Cisco, I will never forget that the my mentor explained to me that Dennis, the money is in stopping the hackers. Companies don't pay you to hack them. They might give you a contract to come in and test the gate, but they don't pay you on a regular basis to hack them. 
where the money is made is in preventing the hackers. So things like auditing, compliance, and the great thing about compliance is you don't really have to know the skill. You don't have to know how to do it. Right. You just need to be able to explain to someone what they should do. And again, Dennis, it gives it gives a lot of opportunity. I've got 20 years in financial services. Um, I had governance over oversight and control functions in the UK. And if I wanted to, I hate compliance. I find it really boring. But if I did like it, I could easily transfer mm -hmm. those skills that I'd learned from analyzing data, collating reports, um, assessing risk, capacity for loss. They're all things that you can transfer across, aren't they, into this industry? And this closes the loop on our conversation in that, remember I said, my grandfather advised me, do the thing that other people don't like to do. Compliance is boring. Auditing is boring. That's why they pay you so much to do it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. But there's, is, well, I don't know if you know um, Jerry Auger. He is, uh, he's got a very big following on YouTube through Simply Cyber and also on LinkedIn as well. And I've been saying for a long time that there is a huge gap in GRC training material. And I'm quite excited because he's got a course coming out in the next few weeks that might help address that. With your experience in the training market, what would you recommend for people trying to get into GRC? Well, uh, NIST and, compli and compliance is good. So uh, NIST has changed. Uh, if you're familiar with NIST, right? Yeah. NIST is in the yeah. United States. Right. So they are, are helping people try to align with CMMC and those kind of things where you can get contracts with the DOD. And uh, they, they, matter of fact, we at our triad actually have a training program to help you with ITSM and NIST to learn about the cybersecurity standards and what they are and how they're going to be applied moving forward. This could be important, and the reason it's going to be important because our president just put about a trillion dollars out on the street, and that trillion dollars is for what we call infrastructure in the United States. Part of infrastructure is the IT infrastructure we have. Part of the IT infrastructure, a big part, is cybersecurity. Dennis, we're going to have to wrap things up today, sir, um, because we're running yes, out of sir. time. I'd just like to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Have you got anything to say to our guests before we wrap up for today? Yeah, um, it's amazing how good you become at, at, at some, how lucky you become at something the more you practice. They are some of the wisest words I've ever heard. Dennis, it's been an absolute honor and a privilege to talk with you. We must talk again. Um, if you don't, please follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube. I'm going to put the links for um, Dennis's company in the chat. Thanks for following. Make sure you click the alert button. Have an amazing day. Thank you. Arrivederci.